I want to start off this morning with a, a congregational reading or a responsive reading. So I'm going to need your help on this. We'll have this first slide that's going to pop up. Uh, it's, it's quite simple. Uh, I'm going to read the, the black lettering, and if you can respond by reading the yellow lettering. Do we got this? Okay, so here we go. Love is... Love is... It does... It does... It is, it keeps, uh-oh, oh, hey, watch this, it is, it is, it is, it keeps, that's really important right now, love, but, it, Always, always, always love. Okay, so I might have botched that just a little bit, but hopefully that'll fit in with what we're talking about. We're really familiar with that, aren't we? I mean, we know that passage really well. It's something that we um, say or recite uh, at weddings. It's, it's something that we frame uh, in a picture frame and hang it on our wall. We might have it in a bumper sticker. We might even pin it on Pinterest for other people to see. But this morning, I want to give us an idea of really what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and for us to see that it's more than just a really beautiful flowery poem that Paul places in the middle of his letter to the church in Corinth. So, what is the context? What's going on in the church in Corinth? And why are these words so important? If we didn't know any better we might attribute 1 Corinthians 13 to a chapter that comes from Psalms. And yet there were no strumming of harps nor frolicking in fields when Paul penned these words. For those of you who are familiar with 1 Corinthians and the letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, you know that there were lots and lots of issues. In fact, the best way I can describe the church in Corinth is they take the fun out of dysfunctional. They were a very dysfunctional group of people, and that's why 1 Corinthians is so important. Let's just gloss over a few of the issues that the church in Corinth was facing and some of the, the issues that they had gotten themselves in. Starting in chapter 5, just an awkward passage 5 verse 1, Paul says, hey, there's a man who's sleeping with his father's wife, and he's proud about it. And Paul says, that's something that's so immoral, even people outside the church would frown upon that. But here, the church there is proud of that. In chapter 6, church members were filing lawsuits against one another, and they were involved in all sorts of sexual immorality. In chapter 7, Paul had given instructions on marriage, and he had to command husbands and wives to stay together. It had just become very flippant for them to be married, and they thought that divorce was something that they could easily walk out of if they 
a marriage was something they could easily walk out of if something wasn't working quite right. In chapter 8, Paul instructs the church in Corinth in regards to meat that was sacrificed to idols. And he talked about how important it was that even though that that meat was not sacred to one group of people, to another it was. And if it offended someone to see you eating that meat, then he says, don't do it. He adds on in chapter 9, he says, I have these rights as an apostle, but he says, I gave those up for Jesus and for his church. And he's going to conclude in chapter 9, encouraging them not to give up. And he says, run in such a way that you get the prize. He doesn't say start the race. He says, finish the race. Keep going on. In chapter 10, he's going to talk about uh, the, the history of Israel and the issues that they had as they were wandering in the desert, even though they were being led by God through a pillar of fire and of cloud, they still chose not to serve and follow God, even during those times where God was right in front of them. And then he adds on one of my favorite phrases that he uses. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. That there are things that you can do, but if it disrupts the harmony of the church, don't do it. Don't be a stumbling block to people. And then we get to chapter 11. You're probably very familiar with this. It seems like, oh, probably two or three times a month as we get ready for communion, we read these words in chapter 11, starting in verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's usually the part where we stop. We say, okay, now it's time to partake in communion. But he goes on and listen to what he says in verses 27 through 30. He says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. Eat and drink judgment on themselves. And he says this. Listen to this. This is why many of you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. What's going on? We, we read 26 through 30 all the time. And say, oh wow, this is this, this beautiful portrait. 
of what the Lord's Supper is. But what's really going on as he's writing this letter? Earlier in chapter 11, Paul chastises the church there and he says, you come together for the Lord's Supper. He says, but when you get there, some of you have lots of food and you start eating while others are left hungry. And some of you are over here and you're getting drunk. He says, the Lord's Supper is communion, not only with God, but with one another. And you've forgotten that. He says, if you're hungry, eat before you show up. Don't come out and be a big glutton while there's other people who don't have food. And then in chapter 12, another fantastic chapter. And the last 20 verses, Paul devotes to the topic of unity. And he uses the analogy of having one body with many different parts. He says, starting in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Okay, so now we have a snapshot of what's going on in Corinth. Lots of issues, lots of outside issues that were affecting the church, but they were making a lot of unhealthy decisions that were causing sin and dysfunction and division among themselves. There were all sorts of arrogance, division, immorality, and selfishness in Corinth. And so, listen one more time to chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And he's going to close out chapter 13 with this. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You get the context of what's going on as he's writing this letter? 
Paul cared deeply for the the church in Corinth. He knew them. He had been there for probably somewhere around a year and a half. He helped start the church. He was there as he watched people get baptized. He prayed for them. He worked hard day and night. And after he leaves, he gets word of all this dysfunction and division that's going on. And he's heartbroken. And so when he writes chapter 13, it wasn't a a beautiful poem. It, It was almost a chastisement. He says, love is bigger than what you want. It always protects. You guys are eating and getting drunk in front of each other while another one is going hungry. That's not love. You're looking at your spouse after a few years and say, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm going to divorce you and find somebody better looking or younger or someone who can cook better. He says it always trusts. Paul had left. And people began wavering in their faith. And so he has to write to them and say, keep on running. A runner runs in such a way so that he'll get the prize. But they get a crown that doesn't last. I want you to keep on running because love never fails. It keeps on going. Last Tuesday I did something that I've never been a part of in all my years of ministry. I'm still a young guy. I, I know it because I look it. But I've, I've been in ministry for about 20 years. For the first time, uh, I, I participated in both a funeral and a wedding in the same day. In fact, I, I, I nearly had to rush from the funeral to get out to the wedding so that I could be prepared to officiate for that. And let me tell you, I prayed over and over again that I did not confuse those two as I was standing in front. Especially with a bride and groom right there. I didn't want to say, I'm glad to be here at your funeral. Although sometimes people feel a little that way, don't they? But here's something that was just super special about that day. You know what? One thing that that we did at the wedding, which I typically do at a wedding, is I love to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And to remind this couple what love is, that it's patient and it's kind, it's not boast, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered and a big one, it keeps no record of wrongs. And I love sharing that with them and talking about this is how I want you to build your marriage. But here's was something that was just really touching to me. Is that just before the wedding, I was sitting uh, out here in the audience. And someone began describing Weldon and Dorian. And in describing the relationship and 60 years of marriage together. Do you know where they went? 1 Corinthians 13. And to describe how a quiet man loved his bride of 60 years to the very end. The words were read, love never fails. 
I haven't done the math yet, but 60 times 365, that equals a bunch. That's a, that's a whole lot of days. And I think if I were to visit with Duran, she would probably say that not every one of those days was lived frolicking through a field. There were probably some tough days as they embarked on the adventure of owning a business and taking care of the finances and making sure they had everybody there. I'm, I'm sure there were some tough days. And that's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 and why it's described the Sims and their relationship through all those decades. We are called to love people. It's easy to love on the wedding day when you're looking at your bride in her wedding dress and her hair made up and that beautiful smile. But what happens on day 423? What happens in year 7? What happens when kids come in? What happens when kids leave? Love is patient. And love is kind. What if it's not your spouse that we're talking about? What if it's one of your co-workers who's arrogant and rude and lazy? And Paul says, love is kind. And love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a beautiful poem that's simply read at a wedding and say, isn't that nice and flowery? Paul is reminding a church that is in upheaval and dysfunction and they can't get along and they're angry at each other and they're doing things to hurt each other and they're just thrown into sin and they're proud of it. And Paul says, that's not love. Love the people you don't like. Love the people who cut you off on the street or stand on the corner of the road. Love the people who obey the laws and pay their taxes and vote in the same group that you do. And love the people who don't. Love the people who live in a White House a thousand miles northeast from here and the people who live in the Blue House right next door who are loud and have the dog that won't stop barking. Love the people in Walmart and in the restaurant and in the post office, the people who live in your house and the people who don't. He doesn't say, love people who are nice to you. He says, love everyone. Because if you're the best preacher in the world, and if you can prophesy, if you can do miracles, if you can move mountains, if you give everything that you have, but you don't have love, you have nothing. You are nothing. You gain nothing. 
Do you want to make a difference in Hobbs, New Mexico? Love people. Let it be our marker and our calling card. Let us do it in such a way that when they see how we treat them and other people, they have to say, man, that person is really, really weird. What's going on? A lot of people that you live and work with and live next to and do daily life with, they don't deserve love. But you give it to them anyway. Because you don't deserve the love that God gave you when He offered His Son. This morning, I want to make sure I offer an invitation that no one misses. I'm calling you to do something extravagant and crazy and ridiculous. I really am. But it's not anything that Jesus hasn't done for you. He gave everything for you, not because you earn it or deserved it or He owes it to you. It's simply because He loves you. He loves you. And He calls you to follow Him. This morning, I encourage you to follow Jesus by loving others. If you have not made the decision to give your life to Christ, I want to encourage you, let today be a day. Not not because you have to, not because you're told to, not because it will make you feel good if you do it, Choose to follow Jesus because you love Him and you want to submit your life to Him. And the way that we do that here is really pretty simple. We're going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment. And that is an invitation for you to come forward. If you say, you know what, I'm tired of the life that I'm living in and the hate that I have for other people and my life is miserable and I need to follow someone who I can love and serve and have joy in my life, that one person is Jesus. And Jesus commands us through the Scriptures. He says, come unto me. Give up yourselves. Die to yourselves. Be buried And the symbolism that we use in that is the water back here. We will put you down underneath the water. You will be buried and you rise anew. And the promise that we have all throughout the Bible is that upon baptism you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And He is with you through the end. If that invitation is something you want, I want to encourage you to come now as we stand and sing.